Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Lab's Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. And in this episode, we're going to be talking to Brian Powell, the VP of Engineering at a fascinating company called Anything But The House, a unique business with a unique set of operational challenges. So let's not delay. Let's get our guest into the space to share his enlightening tech wisdom. Welcome, Brian. Welcome to CTO Confessions Podcast. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. Brilliant. So tell the audience who you are and what do you do? So I am uh, the vice president of technology for a company called Everything But The House based in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, We do uh, large scale consignment uh, and liquidation sales uh, for estates Um, and, you know, my past and background is uh, building and uh, selling technology companies, mentor for um, some of the global accelerator uh, networks, uh, you know, as it uh, relates to scaling technology. And I came into uh, EBTH in uh, 2020 uh, to take on, um, you know, building out the platform and working and building out the team. Um, you know, the company had gone through a rough patch uh, through 2019 and I'm happy to be on board and, uh, and building out the team and uh, stewarding the uh, the technology into the next era. I, I love the name, Everything But The House. What's the problem this company's solving? Um, so Everything But The House is really focused at, um, you know, the unfortunate part of either downsizing or a death in the family or, you know, estates that, you know, um, need to find an audience. And so most of the estate companies uh, back when EBTH was started uh, nine years ago, um, were really local. They, you know, their their audience was basically the cities that they were in, mm. um, and the the two founders, uh, Jackie Denny and Brian Graves, looked at the problem and said, "What if we could do this, you know, at scale uh, across the United States or the world?" Um, and that's really where the idea sort of came from. And so EBTH um, went through about nine years of development, um, raised uh, a, a ton of money, I believe over a uh, hundred million dollars, scaled to. Uh, something like 20, 25 markets, um, and realized that, um, you know, scaling that quick and that the local environments weren't necessarily uh, ripe for it. And so the company sort of downsized and, um, you know, the company did go through bankruptcy in 2019. And I was sort of the tech leader that came in on the other side of that to look at, you know, where the company wanted to go as it was re-envisioned by the founders and how to take the technology platform as it exists and go through the process of modernizing it and, um, you know, and, and updating it uh, to really realign with where the business was going. Wow. I mean, bankruptcy is quite a big thing. Uh, I know it's a very different thing here in the UK. Uh, 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 what was your the biggest kind of tech challenge around uh, coming out the other side of that bankruptcy? Um, so, you know, I was, I wasn't with the company when they went through the bankruptcy. I was talking with them at the time. Um, you know, the biggest issue in, you know, was that, uh, the company really lost their entire technology department. Um, you know, the, as the company went through that process, um, you know, the technology team sort of slowly peeled off and ended up with, you know, 
pretty much just some contractors that were helping to maintain and keep the system alive. Um, and you know that wasn't really a sustainable model to uh, to, to grow the organization. Um, you know, at that point, the the company still had about 200 employees, mostly on the operational and sales side of things. Um, you know, and the technology was just sort of existing as best it could. Mm. And a lot of the issues inside of the technology were just being solved by manual processes that were being put in place. And so oh. when I came in, there was a real focus on, okay, what is the business need? How do we implement, you know, and get a priority list of, of some quick items that we can adjust um, or fix for the the operational side of the business and you know start to rebuild that team and so you know when i joined there was just one other developer um when we came out of uh, 2020 we were at 12 um and we have our uh 19th or 20th uh developer um you know an it uh and fraud team uh, members starting uh, on may 3rd so wow that's right so growing it's great that you kind of bounced off that uh, you know uh, dip in the in the journey of the company and and got to this um so i'm really curious about the company i mean it's uh, I, we, we kind of talked about this offline but there's some really interesting things I, one of the particular things is that you you know you are selling off one one off item so you're not buying bulk anything it's everything is unique yeah, everything that comes through the platform, um, <clears throat> you know, from the the start of the sales process all the way through uh, fulfillment of the item, whether it's shipping or picked up, um, you know, that process has really been created by EBTH. You'll you'll see a lot of competitors in the market now um, starting to mimic that process. Places like the Real Real or you know First Dibs, etc. Um, but as soon as an item you know is basically dropped, we have a series of you know you know, very custom uh, technology solutions that guide the item through um, initial receiving to photography, cataloging, you know, research on the item to so that we can ver verify the authenticity of any item that we sell. And, you know, EBTH really focuses on the uncommon side of, of items. You know, we're not really interested in bringing in, you know, low value items. We have a very, very dedicated and knowledgeable audience that uses our platform. Yeah. And we want to make sure that we continue to service uh, our community uh, with those items and the quality that they expect. And so um, all the solutions that we use internally have been homegrown. We couldn't go out and get a warehouse management system that dealt with pallets of 500 because everything's an item of one. And uh, <laughs> you know, that entire process, it just starts to really fall apart if, you know, everything has a, a skew of one. So Yeah, cool. And I know this is a tech podcast, but I, I, my, my curiosity around your company and what you sell is just kind of tickling away. So I need to kind of satisfy that. <laughs> what, what kind of items have you, have you sold on this then? What's the... Uh, uh, most strangest item you've sold on there? Um, I, man, I'd have to look. There's <laughs> there's always unique and uncommon things. You know, we were talking uh, before, you know, we had a, a Rolex uh, come onto the site um, that sold for over half a million dollars just due to the rarity of it. And, um, wow. you know, that's it's an attestament, uh, you know, it's a testament to the audience that we have um, to be able to start things at a dollar and see the value get all the way up there and not operate like a typical auction house where the reserve has to be enforced. And, you know, um, our sellers are still uh, trusting enough that they'll put things on at a dollar and it'll, and it'll go all the way through. Yeah. So, um, 
but all, all of the art stuff is just fascinating when you, you know, walk through the warehouse and see the amount of stuff that is being processed um, and unique and nothing. It's always changing. You'll walk in one day and the warehouse will look completely different the next day. Yes. Just due to the amount of, of items that are coming in. Brilliant. And uh, you did mention some paintings earlier on. I think the audience might be interested in what kind of things, <laughs> what kind of paintings you sell. Yeah, we, we sell a huge number of, uh, of artists. Uh, we've, we've, we've put uh, a couple Picassos through, um, you know, the, you know, our art and curation and cataloging team there, you know, it's just amazing. Um, some of the things that, uh, that they can find, um, you know, to sell and, and research and, and, and put through the platform. And you also mentioned the kind of uh, journey of, of re-engineering the whole platform. I, I mean, was that a, a case of uh, like open heart surgery, trying to keep the system running while you're, you're creating a, a new version alongside? Yeah, I, I equate it to, uh, you know, driving down, the, driving down the road at, you know, 60 miles per hour and you're trying to change a tire out without <laughs> uh, ending up on the side of the road. Um, but, you know, we, we, you know we've, we've done a lot of work um, inside of the general architecture uh coming through the end of last year uh we went through probably eight weeks of just what we refer to as technical debt of just breaking pieces apart simplifying some of the the you know the deployment infrastructure so that we would give ourselves those really well-defined interfaces that as we did go in and change out parts of the system we knew with, with a pretty high level of confidence that we weren't going to break things yeah and what advice would you give for tech leaders out there and got a similar situation what's the lesson that you've learned around that um things are going to break um we use a lot of feature flagging. So the ability to turn, you know, A-B testing um, on and off um, inside of the platform so that if we roll something out uh, and it's not working, we can quickly turn it off without a full redeploy to roll back the entire system. So we'll do a lot of leaving existing code in place, bringing in new code alongside it, and then basically using feature flags to adjust our data flows through those, through those new pieces of code to give ourselves a high level of confidence and then we'll come back and once we're we're absolutely confident that the new flow is supporting the needs that we you know we'll go through and we'll clean up the older code yeah you also mentioned that you're involved in a you've got a channel okay um uh, um, you've got a channel and that's kind of creating some interesting load differentials on your site yeah, so we about uh, so five weeks ago we launched a uh, or should I say our our TV show special uh, everything but the house launched on uh, HGTV um, and you know we went from about five to seven hundred users on the site at any one time creating load across it to um, eight to seven to eight thousand. Um, and that ramp up comes in, you know, about a 10 minute period. And so we see a, a 10x of traffic um, on the system. And, you know, the first week, uh, you know, it didn't go so smoothly. So, you know, I'll be happy to, you know, to, to admit that um, we had no idea sort of what what it was coming at us. We had done some back of the napkin forecasting of what we could possibly handle. Um, and it didn't go so well. So um, we pulled the team together, did a, a full rundown and an incident report on, on where we failed. Um, we set out a plan to fix uh, and, and feature flag some of those areas that were, that were bottlenecks for us. And the next four weeks we ran without any issues. So yeah, that's um, good. 
Yeah. And, you know, it, the system isn't even really getting that hot anymore. Um, but that it did trigger a, a major push uh, inside of the company to get out of the current deployment infrastructure that we do run and into a fully regionally distributed cloud native platform. So uh, with the cloud, cloud service provider underneath it. So well done for doing that. And thank you for sharing that. You know, the Thanks. fact that it didn't, didn't uh, you know, and this is a great thing about entrepreneurs, you know, and, and, and companies that are, are pushing the boundary. You know, they, they accept the fact that things are going to go wrong. It's just how you handle that. I can imagine those were some kind of quite um, interesting times. You know, there's, a, there's an old Chinese proverb, you know, <laughs> may you live in interesting times. Yeah, it was, um, it was definitely uh, interesting. That's a good way to put it. Um, you know, we, we had never really, the system had never been shaken the way that it was shaken when the, the show premiered. And so um, it exposed a lot of things to us that we very quickly were like, well, we can see why that would cause a problem. And, you know, so we, we spun up a small little SWAT team. Most of the issues were really on sort of the back end side of things um, around sort of long running query times or complex or in the, in, and we were missing indices in the database or, or things like that that would help us out. And so, yeah. um, once we layered a lot of that stuff in and we started to see the results come in, it, it, we, we started to get a, a much higher level of confidence that we weren't going to have issues moving forward. Yeah. So what were your sprint iterations then during that period? So we had a week, we had a week to clean it up. Um, you know, the, the cycle we typically run um, is, it's a cycle I've run across a couple of companies and taught other companies where we run, we run pods. Um, and they're eight weeks long. The first week is very low code. It's all solutioning. Um, it's a lot of breakout sessions, feature discovery, UI comp, data needs discussions, modeling. Um, and then we'll have all of the stories that we're going to execute over the next um, say, over the next seven weeks that remain in the pod uh, defined in that period of time. And then we'll roll into three two-week sprints, and then we do a week of technical debt at the end, where we just go back and look at all of the like to-dos in the code, or you know what, I didn't build this the the best way that I wanted to, but we shift it that way. So let's spend some time, and it's on the teams to as they're rolling through that six weeks, keep a running list of that technical debt that they want to go back and address. And you know, I find that that cycle of um, starting with getting common alignment around the features and the issues, running the sprints, and then doing technical debt to clean up um, really helps to roll into the next pod that follows it, that solutioning week without a lot of like hanging on issues that need to be uh, addressed or created or featured or feature work. Yeah, that's, that's great. So Brian, what kind of leader would you describe to us? It sounds like a very dynamic and uh, very agile environment. There's a lot of, especially at the moment, a lot of things changing. How would you describe your leadership? And that's a good question. I, I tend to be more of, um, I want solutions to come to me. So I'm a big proponent of my team's uh, solutioning um, and best solution wins. Um, very rarely do I come with a, you're going to do it exactly this way. Um, I, 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 I would be... Uh, I'd be uh, lying if I said that, that I didn't have that leadership style at one point in my past. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, now I, I tend to, you know, I tend to focus on hiring great people and great engineers and great technical thinkers. Um, you know, when I go through my interview process, I tend to be more focused on sort of, you know, 
show me the cool shit that you've built and the problems that you've solved and how you have approached it um, rather than looking at a resume, right? I want to hear about like how they got to where they are as a developer or uh, a designer um, or even a QA engineer. Um, and so from that perspective, I tend to be um, very hands-off in my approach. Um, but when we are solutioning, um, I spend a lot of time with the team trying to understand how they got to the recommendation that they're making. Um, and, you know, I don't want to find out about issues uh, like two weeks later, like I'd rather know immediately. And yeah. sometimes, you know, just sitting there and asking what can be, you know, random questions will just get someone unstuck. And then, you know, they'll be like, oh, or, you know, sharing, hey, you know, I've seen something like this in the past and this is the design pattern that I use to get past it. Um, you know, I, I find that to be to be very helpful. And, you know, my teams are structured very collaboratively. No one really goes off and works in isolation. Um, the goal is to really make sure that when we're delivering things, there's common agreement across the team that this is the best solution. This is what we're going to roll forward with. I love that. Yeah. So that actually segues nicely into my next question, which is how do you create high performing teams? I mean, what's the what's the things that you do to bring that about? Um, so, you know, I definitely am a huge believer um, in the agile methodology. Now, you know, in terms of like Scrum, Kanban, Lean, and, you know, I, I don't necessarily run um, a by the book process of any of them. Um, you know, I've sort of fallen into this pod approach, um, but I find there's this little sweet spot between, you know, sort of Lean, Kanban, and, and Scrum, um, where you're shipping features on a regular cadence, um, but you're not afraid to get stuff out there um, as quickly as possible so that you can you can really drop things when they're fully implemented. Um, you know, as it relates to creating high performance teams, um, again, I'd, I'd come back to making sure that you're hiring, um, uh, understanding when you can take on junior and mid-level developers um, as an engineering team is, is something I really try to uh, pay a lot of attention to. Um, you need a solid foundation of really great developers that themselves are teachers and want to curate talent um, and creating an environment where people have the time to pair program, do pull requests, do code reviews um, and share knowledge rather than just shipping things as fast as possible um, is probably um, the thing that I push on the most uh, inside of my teams is, you know, no one just run off and do something, spend the time to talk about it, and then spend the time to review the solution when it comes back. Um, yeah. A lot of knowledge transfer and a lot of knowledge sharing um, around, um, you know, what's what's been implemented and even research that's being done, um, you know, on the platform that uh, that my team inherited. Uh, you know, the, the platform didn't come with a lot of documentation. A lot of the tribal knowledge of the platform was lost uh, when the company uh, lost their develop their previous development team. And so, you know, during the end of 2020, um, the team inside of that larger sort of technical debt uh, overhaul spent just time doing documentation and exercising the system and watching it run and, and trying to create that knowledge that will live on with the system and the foundation of it so that as we bring in new people, we do have a full-on engineering documentation repo that that explains how to quickly get up to speed with the platform, how to understand the data flows inside of it, how to understand 
how some of the design decisions of how things are put together inside of the system actually exist. Love that. So that, that's an interesting one coming to documentation because one of the things, uh, you know, in the agile world, people say, you know, do less, less documentation. Um, it says do less documentation to deliver more. It doesn't say don't do it. So yeah. what would your advice be to tech leaders out there? Because uh, working in development teams, because I was, I've been a tech, techie myself in the past in the embedded world, um, what would your advice be around documentation? Because, I mean, I feel it's important. Uh, it is important. Um, that's it's one of the reasons that we spend a week at the end of the pod uh, just going through. Um, you know, I like to see comments in code. Um, I shouldn't I shouldn't have to try to read the codes by itself to understand, you know, the context of what it's doing. Um, and so, you know, a, a lot of commenting. Um, but then that also, you know, when teams are reviewing PR requests, adding comments uh, to somebody else's code so that, you know, whether it's a question or whether it's a, this is being transformed here and it may not be super transparent, you know, without going in and maybe looking at um, another method or, or um, you know, class or even dependency um, at that point. Um, but yeah, I mean, documentation for me, um, I wouldn't say we we spend a huge amount of time on it. I really sort of expect documentation to be something that's organic, that's being done while you're coding. So yeah. whether that's in the code or going into um, our engineering documentation and saying, I just created this new process or this new class. This is how it works. This is the approach behind it. Um, and we capture a lot of that in the tickets, uh, just in comments. Uh, we use Clubhouse to manage, you know, a lot of our, our, our agile, um, you know, boards and flow. Um, but the, the over, you know, the overarching theme is like, no one should have to like stare a hole in the code that you've written <laughs> to try to understand what exactly is going on. Yeah, I think that's good advice. There's also an element of risk management here, you know, because people do leave companies, you know, and sometimes, you know, we'll have periods where, um, what have you got to, I mean, is there anything around the risk that you advice you'd like to kind of give the tech leadership around that? Because it sounds like you've been with a few companies where this has happened. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think that comes back to just making sure that um, you get hit by a bus factor as low as possible. Um so don't allow uh, pockets of knowledge to exist inside of your dev, dev teams. Make sure that you've got collaboration going on. Make sure that you take time for knowledge share and transfer. Um, and I actually am, am always surprised that even the engineers that have maybe, maybe ramped up on something very specific in the platform, when they go through working with other people, they always pop out of those collaboration sessions thinking about something completely differently than how they understood it. Right. So it's a, yeah, yeah. it's not just about a knowledge transfer one way. It's, you know, about the team coming together around the concepts that are being discussed. And sometimes you walk away with the team being like, well, I'd really like to go research this over here. You know, um, maybe this will, will help us get into a better spot and solve the problem that we, we aren't even seeing a problem here, but you know, a lot of my engineers come from very diverse backgrounds um, whether it be in mobile application development or machine learning or, um, you know, just really, really high end front front end design. Um, and so, you know, that the ability for the team to collaborate drives a lot of the knowledge and 
it also creates an environment where, you know, people don't tend to step away from, right? You know, they, you know, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Um, and if people are collaborating, you've got a pretty good sense on um, where they are, what they're looking for, uh, you know, and that sort of thing. That's great. And the teams that you have got, uh, obviously, we're living through that uh you know, challenging period, the COVID kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Is everybody working from home uh, remotely? Yeah, so we actually, um, we have uh, five engineers that are remote uh, fully for the team. And then we have a team um, that is largely based around the Cincinnati area. Some of them are a little bit more north. Um, but, you, you know, everything we do right now is basically remote. Uh, the one thing we we will do is for the people that are local in the area, um, when we go into those solutioning weeks, uh, we will come into the office. Uh, we have a, a very, very um, nice uh, new innovation area where um, we can get in front of whiteboards. Teams can break out. Um, we can, re- you know, throw stuff, throw code up on uh, some of the the break, you know, the the presentation screens, and just really start to walk through things. And so, there's something great about bringing the teams together because what you do get is the sidebar conversations you can't have inside of the yeah. Zoom, uh, you know, the Zoom world. Um, but at the same time, I'm a firm believer in not ha- not not having so much time sucked up with sidebar conversations and giving people the ability to focus. Um, engineers, at least when I like to code. I mean, it's almost like put, put my headphones on and I have to be so deep into the problem that I've lost track of time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you get into those open office environments and, you know, pe- you know, people that aren't even on the dev team are stopping by to have conversations and, you know, asking what's going on and checking in and, you know, just and, you know, I don't I won't I don't want to say that that slows things down, but it definitely um, it, it's beneficial for establishing a relationship to the company and the other teams. Mm. Um, but in terms of delivery, um, my team has been way more uh, efficient probably since we've gone remote yes. uh, than, than when we've got in the office. So. That's right. They're, they're, people are able to manage their notifications and interruptions and what have you. I've heard this from a number of other tech leaders as well. It's a, it seems to be a common theme. Uh, and as you mentioned, the the collaboration and maybe getting around whiteboards is the missing element. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm trying to rack my brain. I'm trying to invent the solution to this because, you know, it's... Uh... None of them are good. None of them. <laughs> I've tried so many of them. They're all terrible. Yeah. It's, it's like a dimension. You know, it's like a phone conversation is one dimensional. Zoom is 2D. 3D is in the room. You're kind of doing stuff. And I'm trying to think of the fourth and fifth, you know, yeah. four, five, five dimensional communication. There you have it. It was coined here. I've just got to invent <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what keeps you up at night, Brian? What, what's the thing that really makes you sweat? Um, you know, I mean, since we've got the HGT HGTV stuff under uh, control. There's, I wouldn't say that there's much that uh, keeps me up at night. Um, you know, my team is making amazing progress on on the roadmap that we have for the year, um, and some of the the new enhancements we've got coming out to the community. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would say the one thing that 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 keeps me up at night is continuing to find talent at the level that I that I find talent. Um, you know, right now it is. It, it is hard to find, you know, people who are um, at the point in their career um, that, you know, either I'm, lo- you know, by level, but also in terms of 
you know, coming in with, you know, a level of ownership and, um, and, and uh, just general, you know, personality and, you know, clicking with the team and mm. um, in that environment, and, you know, the, the job is, you know, a tech leader is to really sort of try to set and manage the tone of that. Um, and so you, man, you just tear through candidates looking for, you know, the new additions to the team um, and, and, and just making sure that you're, you, you know, you don't take a wrong step in terms of culture building and uh, making sure that the environment and the dynamic of the team, um, you know, gets affected. So, you know, it's a little slower to hire, but I, you got to make more precise hires, I guess. Yeah, you don't want to destroy the signature that you got, you know. Obviously, mm -hmm. some shifts in culture are nice, but uh, again, talking to another tech leader, uh, they were having huge growth, um, you know, and, and they were almost being swamped by new people, and the culture was uh, running away from them, you know. It was mm -hmm. like the culture that developed had basically was being washed by by new people. You know, so it's maintaining that. And what books on your journey have been gateway books for you. What books would you offer to other tech leaders out and they go, do you know what? Read this one. Um, so I've been reading a lot of like really technical books around languages, uh, you know, right now. Um, you know, some of the books that um, that I've read in the past that, you know, when they came out really made me think about things. Rework, which came from uh, the team that built Basecamp. Um, yeah. And... Um, you know, that was a good one. Yeah. I mean, most of them were really around, you know, like architecture, you know, how, how, uh, you know, how we've, how we've gone about things. So they, they're highly technical, not really so much team focused at that point, I would say. That's good. It sounds like you've got the kind of team side of things nailed. You've got an intuition around that. You, you've learned uh, what works, you know, so that's great. And um, okay. Is a fun one. I'm going to be a tech genie for a second, right? I offer tech, uh, tech wishes. You got one tech wish. What would that be? that you could snap your fingers and all of your data would magically migrate to wherever you wanted it to go without, you know, shutting things down and, and going over. Um, I'd also, you know, uh, I, I guess my other response to that would be, um, you know, and, and we get it with uh, some of the new services that we're, we're building with Go, um, you know, better ability to just know that your code's going to do what your code's going to do. So, you know, high assurance of this is built exactly the way that it needs to be built and the testing debugging side of it, um, you know, sort of falls away, um, you know, and, and a lot of the more, uh, you know, strongly written languages and, and compiled languages do give you that. And so we're, that's one of the reasons we're looking at the, the Ruby side of the world and moving more towards, you know, Go and, uh, some, you know, some of those languages. Yeah, that's right. There's, um, yeah, I like that idea of the language actually kind of providing the... Uh, a way of describing what it, what the outcome you want, you know, and then kind of figuring out what you need to do. As we come to the end of the arc of our podcast together, Brian, what's the key takeaway that you give to tech leader men and women out there as a parting gift? Um, yeah, so I, I guess I would focus on, um, you know, if you're coming into a new build or you're coming into maybe revamping an MVP or inheriting um, a tech stack, um, understand what the technical debt is inside of the solution and then under, you know, and then go through the process of communicating that um, through whether it's the budgeting process or through uh, the leadership process 
um, and you know, focus on you know what it's costing to maintain, what it's inhibiting innovation-wise. Uh, sometimes they can, you know, platforms can even be hard to find tech talent to even work on the software that it's, you know, that it, or the tools that it's built with, and so understand what it what it's going to take to um, decide. All right, you know what? As hard as this is, we're going to end of life this, and we're going to build something that's going to either replace it over time, or it's going to be a hot swap. Um, and don't be afraid to do it, because um, a um, your team will take great pride in bringing that solution out. Um, the benefits of modernizing and implementing uh, current practices. Um, will free you up from dependency hell of upgrades and all of those uh, sorts of pieces of it. So, um, you know, trust your team and don't be afraid to to really dig in on making sure that you're building a solution that you want to take pride and ownership over with your team, um, and and not just not just maintain and keep alive. Um, so, you know, it 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 takes a lot of planning and a lot of understanding to do, but it will pay off in the long run. Brilliant. Great words to finish on. Thank you for your time, Brian. It's been lovely speaking to you and I've learnt loads during our short time together. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Well, what a great conversation with Brian. I'm looking forward to watching their channel to see how it works and what kind of items come up. We here in the UK also have a TV show called Antiques Roadshow. And it's always fascinating to see what people bring to get evaluated and learn about the potential history of said items. The business Anything But The House goes several steps further to create a wide spectrum of items and ones that you can buy. So this is another example of how technology opens up endless avenues of possibilities for businesses. It's an enabler and creator of healthy businesses with healthy bottom lines. Seriously, every item that Anything But The House is selling is unique. It's a one-off. So just imagine the stocking, the logistics, the operations that goes behind creating that and the technology that enables that to be smooth, cost-effective and customer-centric. So my key takeaways from the podcast were as follows. Number one, I loved how Brian talked about the sweet spot between lean, Kanban and Scrum, i.e. not to chase cookie-cutter versions of a methodology, but to find what works for you. My second key takeaway is the story of adapting the huge differentials in demand on a platform. So it's not just how businesses deliver a particular solution, but how that solution is able to adapt and throttle on demand. And my final third takeaway is the ins and outs of a very complex business, from collectible watches to Picasso paintings. Fascinating business. I can just imagine working for that company and seeing what comes up, what people bring to the party to sell. So thank you again, Brian. Thank you for your time and sharing your wisdom to the tech community out there. And well done to you and your team for creating a great solution for the business. And may everything but the house continue with its ongoing success. And finally, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Lab services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders, favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams, 
off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.